Gen Z and Gen Alpha are highly expressive, they're highly creative, they're highly entrepreneurial, and I think that they're going to demand excellence from the brands and products that they pick and choose. How do retailers use technology to reach the Generation Z and Generation Alpha consumers? Generation Z makes up 20% of the United States population and spends $360 billion annually. This generation is comprised of 40 million adults with 71% of the 20 to 24 year olds currently in the workforce. By 2025, Gen Z is expected to increase their digital dominance and surpass Generation X in digital purchasing. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, who I lovingly refer to as the Zalphas, they're going to demand that you listen to them, really hear them and what's going on in their lives. Though young, Generation Alpha already influences the marketplace. Although still in primary school, 66% of Alphas prefer ethical and ecological brands and express a preference for positive change. Interestingly, 25% of Gen Alphas get their shopping ideas from influencers, while 51% first learn of a new brand on YouTube. Players thinks about Gen Z as 13 to 24 year olds and the alphas as 13 and under. And these guys are incredibly interesting because they are pushing on social norms. Claire's is a global brand powerhouse for self-expression, creating exclusive curated and fun fashionable jewelry and accessories and offering world leading piercing services. The company operates 2,300 stores in 17 countries throughout North America and Europe and have more than 300 franchised stores in the Middle East and South Africa. Their core customers, Gen Z and Gen Alpha. The role of the CMO is so incredibly important to setting the vision for the company. And as we talked about, I feel like they're the voice of humanity and the empathy from a consumer perspective in corporations. Kristen Patrick is the chief marketing officer of Claire's and was recently included in the Forbes Entrepreneurial CMO 50 list, featuring the top 50 marketing chiefs who are building for tomorrow. During our discussion, Kristen provides insights surrounding her personal strategy in reaching this next generation of consumers. We cover several topics, including how a design-led culture impacts an entire company, how to use Roblox to emotionally connect with a fan base, why modern brands must be empathetic, why brands should take a frontline position and create positive cultural change, which brands have a license to enter a consumer's entire ecosystem beyond its core product offering. It's always a pleasure for me to engage with visionaries, and Kristen Patrick stands at the top of that mountain. Her forward-looking work with best-in-class companies like Pepsi, Gap, and Claire's always strike the pulse of the consumer. Kristen is a big thinker with a big heart and really opened up during our conversation. Thank you, Kristen, for joining me on some future day. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to some future day. It's so great to see you. So great to see you. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. So congratulations. Forbes recently gave you an amazing award. You were included in the 2023 Forbes entrepreneurial CMO 50, which really, really is incredible. Notwithstanding the fact that you're 
a CMO, I really understand that your position in the community is far greater. You're really seen as a forward-looking leader, a business executive that's a true visionary, a big thinker. Um, during the during that article, they set it up and they describe the uh, CMOs that are listed as the top 50 as acting today, but building for tomorrow. And I'm curious, what are you building for tomorrow? Well, first of all, I'm so grateful that I was included on that list. Um, there's a lot of really great people included. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really honored to be part of that. And I think what I'm building for tomorrow is two things. One is really taking into account the human quality of business and everything that we do. Like it's all steeped in one person, one dream, one consumer. And, you know, sometimes I think we forget that there's humanity at the end of everything that we're doing. And the second thing that I'm building for the future is, you know, I think for a while CMOs roles have been evolving and, you know, it's no longer just about activation. It's about setting the vision for the future. It's often the voice of the consumer within companies. It's, it's really in some ways bringing the empathy and humanity to everything that we're doing, whether it's design led thinking or, um, you know, sort of being an advocate for social responsibility platforms. I, I think that, you know, more conversations around the role that CMOs play inside of companies is, is another thing that I'm working on for the future. So it's interesting, two words that you used, empathy and humanity, really strike a chord with me. It's rare to hear somebody at your level of the business community and the business world start a, a conversation around that. Do you feel that brands in, in general aren't as empathetic perhaps to their customers or to society uh, these days? I think it's changing. I think that, you know, within corporate hallways, there's a lot of talk about empathy and um, humanity in, in a way that there wasn't because I think consumers are demanding it. I really think that, you know, the next two generations of consumers, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, who I lovingly refer to as the Zalphas, um, they're, they're going to demand that you listen to them. Like, I mean, really hear them and what's going on in their lives. And I think that they are also demanding that consumers have a perspective on the environment and mental health. And um, so I, I think that like companies have got to get hip to this because it's going to happen with or without them. Is the person that sits in your seat at this senior executive level of a corporation managing the way the brand interacts with its fan base, with its consumers, with its evangelists across their brick and mortar stores, are you connected enough to the, to the end user, to the, to the consumer um, does technology provide you with greater access to the consumer or do you feel like it's more important to actually physically press the flesh, you know, like the way Donna Karen would go in her early career and meet every customer and Bobby Brown would go and meet every customer, which is more effective to impart that empathy that you're talking about 
Is it more effective to use technology or to get down and press the flesh at the, at the brick and mortar store level? I think it's both. Honestly, I think it is, um, you know, uh, obviously a a deep dive into your data and analytics and watching um, movements and trends. And I think that that's incredibly, incredibly important. But, you know, one of the things that's so great about, I, I would say, retail brands is that you have almost a lab sitting at your fingertips where sales associates are constantly interacting on the front lines every single day with the consumer you're getting feedback, um, you know, they're talking to you on their socials. And for Claire's, you know, we have about 18.5 million members in a loyalty program that we started about two years ago. So there's a lot of interaction going on with those folks as well. So for me, it is definitely a combination of the two. And, you know, in, in other roles that I've held, I didn't have the luxury of having our own retail stores and a lab where I could like go and actually observe, watch, um, get immediate feedback on things. So that is such um, a gift, truly. So I do think that that human element is incredibly important as well. So it's kind of interesting. Like, let's build up on the consumer conversation a little bit. Um, recently, I read this article that was published by McKinsey. They were talking about the rise of what they categorized the new zero consumer, zero boundaries, where the consumer will shop across you know, different channels, whether it's brick and mortar or digital, zero loyalty, where they're not loyal to their brands, their products, the retailers, zero patience. I think in this post-pandemic, post-COVID world, we got very used to things being delivered to our front step, immediate. We want that merch right now. Um, interestingly, also, they mentioned zero mid-tier. So there's the luxury consumer and the value-oriented mass consumer, but nothing, nothing happening in the middle range. And then finally, net zero, um, consumers that care about sustainability. So I'm curious, like, how do you as an executive in this powerful role where you can reach beyond the 18 and a half million loyal customers that loyalty members that are in your loyalty club, how do you consider this um, contradictory type of behavior from this new zero consumer? Is empathy at the core there? How, how are you connecting with that consumer? So <laughs> the world is so incredibly digital. And there is, I would say, all of these dichotomies, like there is deep loyalty for brands, then there's a lack of loyalty for brands in certain business categories. I think in very high touch emotional categories, like brands do matter. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that a business has to do is kind of play every angle. And by that, I mean, you have to know who your loyal consumers are, speak to them on a regular basis, provide them with unique and special things to keep interest in the brand. I think that you have to really watch their shopping habits and place yourself where they're going. So for instance, for our company, you know, for 60 years, we've been a, a global fleet of retail stores and consumer shopping habits changed. So we started to take our products outside of our owned and operated channels and create a third pillar or a second pillar of the company, which is um, going into other 
retailers. So we can be found everywhere from, you know, Macy's all the way down to Walmart. We sit next to Burberry and Dior and Gallery Lafayette in Paris. And so that was sort of based on convenience and consumers shopping every which way. Um, and, and we're watching their behavior in their personal lives, you know, whether they're in the metaverse, whether they're um, consuming gaming or music, like we're inserting ourselves in, the, in those places. I would say the good news for the business that, you know, I, I'm working on and sort of took over two, two years ago, in, in talking to consumers, they they love us, right? Like they want more from us. And they think about um, Claire's as like, you know, because they're so fidgetal and they're moving through life um, very quickly, they, they, they said to us, like, you can sit in different places in our lives. Like we actually want more from you as a business. So we're listening to them. And, you know, they told us that they want different business categories for us. They want us to have apparel to go along with the accessories. They want um, us to decorate their dorms and their bedrooms. So thank God, like they're giving us the ability to like show up in more places in their lives. And I think that that's a very powerful place for a business to sit. So it's kind of interesting. There's like this evolution or this evolving relationship between the retailer and the consumer that you're describing. Perhaps like when we were younger, we would go into a store and it was very transactional in nature, right? We would go to a store for a specific product, purchase the product, and that was it. And what you're talking about is expanding the relationship between the retailer and the customer, really tapping into the broader ecosystem of the customer. For example, we're seeing that a lot with Amazon now. I know that Amazon is getting into its customer's relationship with healthcare um, as it relates to One Medical, other companies that aren't um, selling first like financial services or travel services they're getting there as well. Do you think that your customers are asking for that because they don't know, because this Gen Zalpha doesn't know any better and it's just convenient for them and they like the brand? Um, or do you think there's another reason? Listen, I think that not all retailers can do this, like what I'm talking about. I think that oh, because we are a 60-year-old brand, have earned the trust for generations. And you know, I think there's some element of like, curation that the company has done over the years. Like we've been really good at plucking and picking trends and sort of building them over the years. So I do think that I am sitting and, you know, the owners of this company are sitting on top of so much more than just a fleet of retail stores. We are sitting on top of a beloved brand. And so we are going to start walk, walking, talking, acting, and thinking like a brand. And in addition, like consumers have said, like you, we will give you access, more access into our lives. I think the other kind of cool thing about Claire's is that you often enter the brand um, at a really pivotal point. You, you come to the brand during a rite of passage, which is a first piercing. So, you know, I got my ears pierced at Claire's. My daughter, Olivia, got her ears pierced at Claire's. She'll probably take her daughter back. And like, I, I hear that consistently across generations. So I think that, like I say, not every retailer can do this. I think that there's some that, you know, kind of put a plethora of stuff out. And I don't think they have the um, 
authority, if you will, to sort of take your brand into um, or, or your your fleet of retail stores, which is really real estate, into sort of the next evolution of what we're looking at for Claire's. So is that authority born out of the emotional connection that 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 you and your daughter might have had in that you you went into the store, it was a scary experience, your first piercing, but it worked and you were okay. So you trust the brand. And now you have this emotional connection with that first experience where you had to step out and be brave a little bit. Is that where that, that authority comes from? Because there's an emotional con- connection with the consumer that's created through that you know, never ending experience, really like you'll never forget where you were pierced first. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think part of it is emotional, but I think, I think with every branded business, there is an emotional and a transactional piece of what you're doing. Right. So yes, I do think that there is sort of a deep emotional connection because it is a rite of passage. Oftentimes when you come in to get a first piercing, like I remember my mother wouldn't let me get my ears pierced until I was in sixth grade. And I used to ask her every single day, can I get my ears pierced? Can I get my ears pierced? I'm sure a lot of, you know, parents deal with that, but I also think that it's the blending of the emotional with the transactional. Like we have got to have good products. Like at the end of the day, product is king, right? And product is king, queen, and court jester, I like to say, because if we don't have the right product at the right time, um, you know, we're not we're not doing our job. So I any brand or business that I'm working on, I try to bring in the emotion, the humanity, the empathy. But then from a transactional perspective, if we don't have the right product and the right store experience, you know, I I think that um, consumers won't be interested in coming to us. So it's the blending of all of those parts of the business. So that's interesting. So if you start to think about the emotional connection that the consumer has with the brand coupled with, let's say the, the utility value of the transaction, um, the, the, the fact that the product is superior. So it, it lived up to the promise, right? I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting juncture, but what's the expectation of today's younger consumer? Like does Gen Zalpha care anymore about superior quality as it relates to product design? Does Gen Zalpha care anymore about superior quality as it relates to communications? Um, it seems to me that it's becoming increasingly diffi- di- difficult for companies to keep the quality at a high level for both the content and the product. I think that it is incredibly important to Gen Alpha. Listen, they were brought up with millennial parents and like millennial parents care about design, right? So millennials grew up with, you know, in some ways design being democratized by Target. And so I think that design matters very, very much as does quality. And I think that those good old standards um, are something that, you know, you'll start to see and, and, um, it'll become even more important. Like I really believe that the rise of design and the creative class is going to continue to be very, very prominent. Like Gen Z and Gen Alpha are highly expressive. They're highly creative. They're highly entrepreneurial. And I think that they're going to demand like excellence from the brands and products that they pick and choose. So I think that that is um, going to be a trend that will continue. So, so just generally speaking, like beyond the Claire's platform, I'm curious, and, and beyond Gen Alpha, 
Which brands do you think do a great job as it relates to striking on that superior design? I think that brands that they um, frequent have a couple of things in common. I think that they're constantly like changing, evolving, putting out new things. I think that um, there is a craftsmanship and a quality to the brands that they like. You know, I'm trying to think about some of the brands that um, Olivia is using, like, you know, Adidas is, um, everybody's wants the Samba sneakers right now. Is that, is that the brand name? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, it, and that's a brand that's that, classic, like, yeah, they're like, classic. They've been around forever. And even, you know, Mark, the way that she listens to music, like she's into Stevie Nicks right now. And so it, it it's like this refinement of, um, it's sort of going back to like tried and true, um, but but still with like a, a modern twist to it. Or the other thing that she's been watching is um, Grey's Anatomy, which we all knew was a great show and a quality show. Um, but it's like, you know, it, it, the shows that she picks up and, 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 you know, are watching, I think that they all do have kind of like a taste level and a refinement to them. So when you ask me about brands, like I think about it, you know, to me, Grey's Anatomy is a brand as is um, Stevie Nicks. And so, so I watch like what she's picking and yes, there are a lot of like new brands that she's interested in from a fast fashion perspective. And even those fast fashion brands are knocking off like really sort of high end um, couture fashion brands. Uh, so, so I really think these kids have great taste. (laughs) So, so Kristen, it's kind of interesting because what you're talking about is, you know, back to the future, what's old is new. And I think it's complicated for brand leaders, including CMOs, to be able to capture the essence of a product that was popular in the 80s and the 90s. And then to to your point, kind of like spin it up in a modern way. Do you think that's a real skill set that um, today's leaders have to have? And um, do you think it's an easy skill set to learn? I think that that is an art form. I think that it is truly, truly an art form. And I think that companies that take it lightly um, are missing out. Like, I think that the ability to, you know, put design-led thinking at the heart of your company um, is incredibly important. I think that picking and plucking trends is an art form. Like, I... I watch like how trends get created, how people come to, you know, a different um, heights of popularity and, you know, when things are over, like, I think the ability for companies to do that is something that it, it's almost like you can't define how to do it, but it is, it is like incredibly important. Um for our company, like I would say that that is kind of the secret sauce. They have been doing that for years and for young generations, which are like the toughest to pinpoint in terms of like what's going to be important to them. Um, but, you know, I've been at companies where there's something really interesting about like a brand's and, and a product's momentum. And you can, you know, when like a brand is hot, there's an energy around it, there's something moving, there's something transitioning. And oftentimes it may start with uh, a mindset shift, whether it's a new product design, a collaboration, Um, they hit on a trend just perfectly. Um, I, 
I really feel like, you know, having the capability within the company to do that is what sets you apart from competition. So you think that's innate? That's an innate, like an innate skill set? I think in some companies it is. I think that trend forecasting and trend watching, I also think that there are, you know, really talented people inside the company and picking and plucking that talent is incredibly important. Um, but I don't think everybody can automatically do that. So where do like, where do trends start today? If you think about it, it's so overwhelming. There's like a title sea of resources. It could come from, um, you know, foreign countries and marketplaces. It could come from, you know, the lower East side as well as, you know, South side Chicago. It could come from, you know, the new hip hop artist. It could come from the past. Like how, how are trends actually being established today and then in turn impacting consumers spending habits and, and communications and, and what they do. I, you know, I have this theory about trends and I sort of go back to lifestyle verticals that have been in place for a very, very long time. And it, it definitely has gotten more complicated because there's like geographic trends that like spring up and there's global hotspots around the world where just like there's this energy and things are happening. But for me in general, I think that a lot of like new ideas get started in the art and design world um, with, with creators and makers, like they're the ones that sort of put things out into the world that, you know, may seem avant-garde. Um, I think that the entertainment industry like interprets it or picks up on, you know, something that's happening from a zeitgeist perspective. And then I think once it's put out into content or music or a publication, I think that the masses start to like kind of see it and understand it. And then I think that you have companies sort of taking that and interpreting it. That's my theory and philosophy anyway, but um, who, who do you that, think, that's like how if, I kind of view the world. If you were going to point to a few um, trend setting visionaries, starting off like at the top of that pinnacle, um, you know, the artist that you might mention, is there anyone that you would highlight in particular, um, that hasn't yet perhaps reached, uh, you know, corporate America or beyond? You know, I, I think that that definition of like who is setting that precedence, um, has evolved greatly. I mean, there's, there's high art, but I, I know I'm going to throw into that mixed stylists and people who are like setting, you know, different, different ways of thinking. Um, I think that people, you know, like Virgil Abloh and, you know, I think that there's, there's a handful of people who are sort of um, setting, shall I say, creating culture right now. And I think that it'll find interpretations and it'll start to trickle down. So it's kind of interesting. When I was working with Carl Lagerfeld, we would often talk about this concept of being a slasher, where, um, sure, at the core, he was the world's, arguably the world's best creative director for Chanel and Fendi and beyond. But he was also a photographer. He was yes. a music curator. He mm -hmm. was so much more. So when you talk about like a, a hot stylist, do you see that as a person in the traditional sense where they're just styling the way an individual is wearing their apparel and accessories? Or do you see it more in like the slasher sense where they could be a content creator, they can create they have to be, original I, merchandise? I think they're multi, 
I think they're multi-talented individuals. Like when I think about people who are like really slashing, as you say, like their medium works across many different areas from, you know, film to, um, you know, actual apparel and accessories to it. it and it, and it's the way that they mix it up and interpret it that I think is, is starting trends. Do you think people need to like specialize in one thing anymore? Like generally speaking, like can people embrace and be good at several different skill sets over the course of their career? 100% yes. I think that, you know, when you and I were coming up through the ranks, it's like you were kind of one thing, right? Like you were either an accountant or an attorney and you like worked tirelessly at that role. I I think that like the next couple of generations are the, um, the slash um, community. It's like, you know, I'm Kristen, I'm a marketing person slash mom slash photographer slash I have a side gig of my own business. Like, I think that that's the way that people are thinking today. Like the more corporate executives I meet, like they do have side gigs now, you know, they're starting their own businesses. And um, I think that that's just the way that, you know, we're going to roll from now on. So, so, do you think that's expected also from this next generation? So let, let's go back to like your, the Claire's target audience. Like I, I know you pronounced it as Gen Zalpha before, but it's kind of interesting because you have Gen Z, yes. Generation Z, Gen Alpha, but mm -hmm. also the moms, right? Like you had yes. mentioned this interesting dynamic from you having your ears pierced first and then your daughter having her yeah. ear um, pierced at Claire's as well. And if you, if you look at the younger piece of it, like we've been talking about Gen Z for so long, but people don't really understand who Gen Alpha is because, you know, she or he is still very young. Um, just to share some stats. So it's predicted that by next year, there are going to be 2.2 billion Gen Alpha consumers. Um, this is uh, really an interesting statistic because it seems that companies or business leaders in your position have been caught off guard, not with the magnitude and the buying power of Gen Alpha, but by the fact that they have such a massive amount of digital savviness. They're really, really skilled and they so want a digital first type of presence. Gaming is their major hobby, but they use gaming often, not just as a social platform, but also to express themselves. And I read a recent article from Digiday which explained that YouTube is actually Gen Alpha's primary platform. It's their top platform where they get their entertainment, they search, and they discover a new product. In fact, 54% of Gen Alpha's first hear of a brand through YouTube. I think that number is staggering. It's massive. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, how is like, what is Claire's doing to reach that Gen Alpha consumer specifically? in the digital space. Yeah. So first of all, um, I have to tell you, Mark, like one of the reasons that, you know, after I stepped down from my role at PepsiCo, um, I took a little bit of time off, made sure that my daughter got off to college. Okay. And this Claire's thing came up and I so wanted to be part of like working on this generation. They are the coolest people. And, you know, you'll hear different, 
ways to slice Gen Z versus Gen Alpha. Claire's thinks about Gen Z as 13 to 24 year olds and the alphas as 13 and under. And, you know, they are born of um, millennial parents as well as Xers. And these guys are like so incredibly interesting because they are pushing on social norms. They live their lives like really fluidly and they live it fluidly in so many ways from their sexuality to the way they think about their careers, from the way that they morph through their lives. Um, and, and, you know, they can go from like brick and mortar into digital and, you know, the alphas in particular, I always say that they're the Z's on steroids because they were born into a world like they will never know a world where Alexa does not exist. And they're so used to like touch screens. They get really frustrated with cars and, you know, cars that have screens where you can't touch. And so, and, and they're lighting the world on fire because they're so creative, so entrepreneurial. And like, I can't wait to see what's going to come out of these kids. Um, so as a brand and business, like you've got to be prepared for this, man. Like, it is, um, you know, uh, being able to try things, test, learn, fail. Um, you have to be like bleeding ed edge in terms of like the technology. You have to be sort of a first mover because they're moving through like different technologies so quickly. Um, it also forces you to use technology and um, a, a, a fast way. So, you know, where we used to create, I don't know, like six television spots a year at a, at a company like Pepsi, you know, I'm now creating thousands of pieces of content a day. Like Claire's has, um, they're owned and operated stores, an e-commerce platform. We're on Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, Discord. Um, we were first, you know, first day thread started, we were there, you know, we have to have a YouTube channel, TikTok. So I, I am talking about so much like publishing and content creation. And I think that, you know, that is a huge burden for companies. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're turning things on their heads and just changing things so rapidly. What's the dynamic though? Like if it's such a huge amount of content that you need to spread across so many different channels, across owned, earned, and paid media every single day, what? How do you balance um, user-generated content that might come up through, you know, a platform, a third-party platform, you know, recorded in Roblox with Claire's Shimmerville, and then uploaded on a platform like YouTube? How do you balance the user-generated content with the content that you want to? control, create on your own, develop a certain amount of positioning for the brand? Like, how do you find that that medium? And financially, I would imagine that's a challenging issue too. It's not just in the execution, it's, it's in the budget as well. Yeah. So I think that this is one of the single biz biggest conundrums that companies are facing. So they have their expertise in products and supply chain. Now I talk about, you know, our content supply chain literally like what is our content supply chain where are we getting the content from what does that look like what are we ex you know getting externally versus what we're building internally and you know i really think that all of this evolution and the demand from consumers like it has placed brands and companies in the position of having to become publishers of content 
And so, you know, I, I'm very serious about the content supply chain because it is a combination of creators and makers, influencers, right? Where you're getting user generated content, but then you're going to want some polished brand messaging. And do you have a creative team internally who's doing that? Or are you working with agencies? Um, you, there's also some combination of being able to have your team internally be nimble. Like if you want to send somebody out to record the, you know, the news broadcast from Coachella, like, do you have people that can like run out there with phones? Um, you know, my daughter recently shot a campaign for Givenchy and they did the entire thing on phones all over Paris. So, you know, and, and then of course you have your beautiful still photography shoots that you're doing. So it is a myriad of different um, ways to, I would say, get, get publishing and creative done. And it, you know, we're starting to look at AI as a way to do that as well. And I think that that could really help brands in some sense, because it, in, in some ways, you know, it's not as expensive to do that. So on the content supply chain piece of it, just staying focused here for a minute, Ultimately, the goal is to control the narrative as it relates to owned, earned, and paid media. Is that the idea? Or is it more of like a quality positioning and you're hoping that your target audience lands on something that resonates with them in such a special way that they get the emotional connection and buy product? Like, what, What's the strategy with so much content? Well, two things. One is I don't think you can control your content in some ways, like, I think you do want to surprise consumers based on whatever platform it is that you're putting content out on, right? Like you don't want necessarily super polished content for TikTok, but for me, it begins and ends with your brand positioning and what you want your brand to be involved with and what your consumers' lives are um, and, and where they're going. So I always think about, you know, we used to talk a lot about brand positioning, right? Like really great packaged goods marketers, like it begins and ends with consumer insight and positioning. I'm really into this sort of concept of brand ethos because what you need to do is figure out what the stories are based on your positioning and where do you have the, what do you, what do you have the authority to talk about? about across all of those channels. So for Claire's, like as an example, we stand for self-expression and creativity. And I always start with the root of that. And that is very important to the audience that we're talking to, which is great news for us, because as I told you, like this is a really expressive generation. So with the idea and the brand ethos of self-expression and creativity, the stories that you can tell are around, you know, cultural happenings, fashion, art, design. Like we, we have the ability to sort of play in all of those places and become sort of a voice for the generation. So that's how I think about content strategy. Um, and then, of course, there's just, you know, regular good old showcasing of your products. But I think that you now have the ability to round out your brand story in, I think, a much more interesting way. So are you distinguishing storytelling from story making as well, or, or storytelling to the consumer target base versus story making with the consumer, perhaps in an immersive digital environment like Roblox? Is there a different strategy there? No, I think it all starts with what Claire's stands for self-expression and creativity. And where do you go with that? Um, you know, I think that our 
creation of Shimmerville for Roblox was sort of steeped in our con looking at our consumers' lives and understanding that gaming and um, digital and the metaverse are so incredibly important to them. So we wanted to um, be pervasive with our brand in their lives. And we didn't, you know, we also believed that Claire's can be so much more than just a fleet of retail stores. For 60 years, we've supported all of the um, licensed properties coming out from the movie studios. And so we wanted to create our own intellectual property. And we did it and went into the metaverse with, you know, heart in hand. What does Claire's brand stand for? Self-expression and creativity. So we built a town called Shimmerville. And within the gameplay in the town, there's a shopping mall where you can get a job as an ear piercer. You can pick your own car. You know, one of the things that consumers told us when they they said, listen, we want apparel and we want you to decorate our dorms and bedrooms. They also said, we want Claire's cafes, which I don't know where they got that, but we did put a Claire's cafe in our Shimmerville game. And then, you know, the other way to express yourself within the game is you get to pick like your little best friend and your pet. So there's these critters that you can um, pick and take along with you on the gameplay. And speaking of fidgetal, we now took those characters and pets out of Shimmerville and we made them into actual products that we're selling in our stores. So just last week, we launched a line of, you know, stuffed animals based on the characters, diaries, water bottles, keychains. So, you know, it's sort of the perfect blending of the physical and the digital. That's interesting. So those characters that you're talking about, that's where you're looking at what um, entertainment properties, perhaps like Disney or Warner Brothers have done through the years where they're starting your platform in the entertainment space is effectively Roblox, where you're yeah. story making with your fan base, they're yes. interacting with these different digital pets, and then they can go into your physical store and purchase their physical version of the digital pet. Am I getting that yes. right? Yes. And, each, and does each does each pet have like their own personality and storyline similar to the way like you and I grew up loving Mickey and Minnie Mouse? Yes. Like you're, you're bringing your own Mickey and Minnie Mouse to, to life? Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. And, you know, I think you'll start seeing more of that from us. We will be announcing very soon that we have signed a contact, uh, a content deal with a major studio to um, create Shimmerville animated, uh, Shimmerville animated series. So, um, and the cool news is like, you know, Claire's is such a massive global platform. We have 3000 owned and operated stores. We sit in all of those channels around the world from Gallery Lafayette to Macy's to Carrefour to Walmart, Kohl's, you know, we're everywhere. And then we have our e-commerce platform. We have 18 million people and growing. I think we're actually up to 18.5 right now with our loyalty program. So, so we have this like enormous platform that frankly, a lot of um, studios don't have. So I think that, you know, I can't wait to see what happens with um, some of the intellectual property that we're creating. So let's rewind a little bit back to your, the comment you quickly shot out as far as like cutting a studio deal to create an animated series. So you're just so I understand. So the characters that you brought to life on top of Roblox and have now a physical version of them in store will be brought to life with an animated um, series that will be 
similar to like the the cartoons we watched on weekends. This is going to happen um, in a similar way. Will it be a movie? Like, how's it how's it coming out? Where do you see this? We see it really kind of starting on streaming. Um, we also think YouTube Shorts for us is going to be really important because, just as you said, um, you know, with your stat in the beginning of our conversation, we think that YouTube is a it's going to evolve into a more and more important platform for this generation. So we would love to do you know an animated film at some point, but I think that we're uh, you know, we're starting with thinking about um, more streaming and shall we say television. I love that. I think that's like an amazingly innovative. I've always categorized you as like the biggest thinker um, yeah. in, you know, in the marketplace as it relates to CMOs. And that's such a big, big idea. You see these franchises that have built been built through the years, um, movies that have gone in a huge way into merchandise and now vice yeah. versa with like gaming platforms um, that you find in Fortnite that are creating feature films and merchandise all around that. So that's such an impressive way of building out a new vertical for Claire's, Kristen. Congratulations with that. Oh, thank you. It's been really, really fun. I steep everything though in like, where can we go from a consumer perspective? And like, it all has to sort of be based on what they think and feel. And like I say, I I get energy off of them because they are so forward thinking and entrepreneurial. So just staying with like, let's linger with Gen Alpha for a minute is kind of interesting because like you said, this is a very different type of person, probably more unique than anybody we've ever known in our lifetime. They value sustainability. They value diversity and inclusion. They really, they seem to be very open to a multitude of worldviews and world opinions. And we're living in a time now where brands become very purpose-driven, right? They feel like there needs to be like a, a cause connected to them all the time. I feel like every brand has some kind of a cause-related purpose now. But do you think that like we really, as consumers, need our brands to be social justice warriors? Yeah, I do. You know, I actually noticed this trend happening uh, quite, quite a while ago, like during my tenure at Gap. I felt it like I remembered reading and I don't even remember how long ago that was maybe 13 years ago, 15 years ago. I remember there was a study that was put out that said consumers expect more from corporations than they do from the government. And they know that the government can do only so much. So they also want, you know, brands to be supporting um, doing good in the world because they take so much from the world that consumers, you know, that trend started. And I remember um, I incepted the idea of doing um, Bono's Red campaign with Gap. Like we were one of the first brands to sort of jump on board. And that was something that, you know, I was diehard about. I remember that. Company. Um, and I remember at the time the CEO said, we don't do partnerships. Like, we just don't do partnerships. And I was like, I, I think we need to listen to this, you know? And I think even to this day, like it was one of the biggest campaigns and most interesting things that the company's done. I mean, I can't wait to see what they do next, especially with Richard Dixon at the company. But I think that, um, you know, I think that it has started and I think that brands are like, it's going to, it's just going to continue and you've got to be there. Like for Claire's, 
we've had a very, very, very long relationship with St. Jude's. Like over the years, we've, we've raised like upwards of $15 million and we have an enormous um, love and, and partnership for them. And I think, you know, in talking to consumers, the other thing that's top of mind, Mark, is mental health. You know, this is a two generations that missed um, key socialization periods in their life during COVID. And they're very open about their mental health issues, thank God. And so, you know, um, Claire started a five-part episodic series called Dear Claire, where we invited consumers from around the world in, turned over our platforms, and we let them talk about everything from mental health to their love lives to body dysmorphia. And, you know, usually we're this incredibly happy-go-lucky brand, but there's something about, you know, self-expression and sort of turning our platforms over to consumers. And as part of that, we did a partnership with Project Healthy Minds, which advocates for, you know, mental health discussion. And, you know, you'll start seeing more of that from us, like as a mother of a Gen Zer, like anxiety is hot and heavy with that generation. I didn't really understand what it was. Because, you know, you and I both grew up not talking about things like that, but it's prevalent. And so I think you'll start to see more from Claire's around that topic. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing, Kristen. I read recently that um, I read a report specifically from New York City that today one in five people in New York City suffer from mental health issues and or addiction. And, um, the, the number is staggering it to put it in perspective, 20% amounts to the entire population of Manhattan specifically. So maybe you're right. Maybe brands do need to like help out a little bit since you have this emotional connection and this trust and the consumers are opening up and saying, we want you to be a bigger part of my personal ecosystem. Maybe it will be good for, for brands to help out at that level. You know, have you heard any positive feedback or great stories that you can share with Dear Claire specifically as to how it might have helped an individual? You know, I have to tell you that it was the most emotional thing for me to watch. Like we went and basically set up cameras and let the girls go. And Mark, they were so kind and open with each other. And um, there was tears and, you know, room to just have really, really deep talks. I didn't know what was going to happen or where it was going to go, but I, these girls were so incredibly special and, and my God, are they smart? Like there was one girl who was talking about how she puts on makeup, like not for anybody else. She does it because it makes her feel good. And I was like, you know, cheering inside and you know, you go girl, because these they're they're insecure, but they're confident at the same time in a way that I just wasn't when I was growing up. So, I I really want to do more of that um, because we do have such a massive platform to I think raise awareness on things that are important to the generation. Yeah, I, I heard recently um, uh, a colleague of mine actually was talking to me recently. The mayor of Reno, Nevada, Hillary Sheevy, she was talking about during the pandemic, she used federal funding to buy all of Reno's residents a subscription to a, ther a digital therapy platform called Talkspace. And wow. almost 50% of the people that used it um, reported back that it was effective and it was the first time that they ever had therapy and, and help. Um, so it's interesting the way that technology can, you know, 
work and give a brand like Claire's such far reach yeah. and also impact people's lives on an emotional level where they really need it beyond superior product. Yeah, I think that's true. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like at the root of everything and at the end of the day, it, it kind of is about empathy and humanity. Even as you're trying to like grow a business, sell products, like if you don't have that deep, deep link with the consumer and on topics they're interested in, supporting causes that they're interested in, um, like what is it kind of what is it all for? And this generation is going to force more companies to do that. But can't there be a balance, Kristen? Like you mentioned earlier, uh, the luxury house Givenchy, and they're still. I don't know, admittedly, if they're doing anything as it relates to pro-social initiatives or, or mental health or anything like this, but I do know that they're creating gorgeous aspirational images, right? Like beautiful, high-end luxury images. Um, can't we find a place where brands can be our social justice warriors and, and help community and society and individuals overcome perhaps their challenges? And at the same time, that girl that you mentioned in Dear Claire use beauty products or, or apparel to capture that spark, gain confidence and go into society. Like, isn't it okay to still have the, the beauty that the fashion industry brings at the forefront of our communications? I think that brands always want to be aspirational and I think that we should be, but I think that, and, and, and by the way, like not every brand should be a social justice warrior and Claire's won't be a social justice warrior. Like we're going to do it in a way that, you know, feels right for the brand. Like we've been kind of this happy go lucky middle of the road brand for a long time. And like, I, I'm not going to be the one to change that. Like, I really believe that that's who we should be like a safe haven for, you know, I always say like, Hey, you want pink hair one day. Great. Have at it. You want to do like polka dotted face the next, like have at it. We're just here to like be the vessel for you to go and explore whatever it is you want. So yes, I think that this is a generation that's not going to pick brains or beauty. They're going to try to be both. And, um, I think that, like I say, have at it. That's great. And I, I, I think that, you know, brands that fake it and say, you know, we've been this way for all these years, but suddenly we're going to be a social, social justice warrior and have an opinion on wars happening. And like, that feels really inauthentic to consumers and like, they'll suss that out. Yeah. So, so it's interesting, your career in 2014, you put um, Kate Moss on the cover of Playboy's 60th anniversary. You had the um, incredible photographers, Mert and Marcus, shoot the campaign. I think Mark Jacobs created some um, fun merch that went along. And I think there was a charitable um, component with Amfar. So that was like pretty amazing. Kate Moss is incredible. And the fact that um, she did that for you is um, really noteworthy. I think that was groundbreaking at the time. And I believe she was dressed throughout the entire uh, shoot, correct? I believe she was. I can't remember. Yeah. You're going back. You're going back a ways here for me. But what 20, led up to that part was a series of like a very calculated turnaround for that brand, right? Like there was a series of precision strikes that we put out into the world before it got to that point. And before like somebody like that would agree to do something like that, like that brand is steeped in like an enormous amount of very cool history, you know, 
uh, Martin Luther King gave his last interview in that magazine. And, you know, Hef was like Richard Branson before lifestyle sort of examples like that existed. The dude had hotels, uh, a media company, airplanes. Um, it was you know, also, I mean, beyond the material objects, I mean, the content that was created from people like Salvador Dali to groundbreaking <laughs> principles for you know, for the LGBTQIA plus movement, for women in particular, I know it's yes. counterintuitive. It was incredible, but I'm, I'm curious, like now you meant, you've been mentioning um, your daughter during mm. this conversation, Olivia Peterson. Um, she's a model with, I think, arguably yeah. the most important modeling agency on the planet, IMG. Obviously she's doing incredible work for best in class companies like Givenchy. So as a mother, has your opinion of modeling and uh, the world of modeling shifted at all? Ah, Olivia is such a Gen Zer. She is the perfect dichotomy in some ways of of you know what these people are about. She she goes to NYU. She's a junior. She's pre med, and yeah, she has a modeling contract with IMG. So I'm very proud of what she's doing because she is, you know. And indeed, like, you know, a statement for fashion brands, but she also has this really cool other side to her. And, you know, I think that you know, girls can be anything they want. And I love STEM girls and, you know, girls who are into coding more than anything in the world, because I am just such a huge advocate of that. And, you know, very, very proud of Olivia for being, you know, beauty and brawn and brains and all of it kind of intermittent. Well, she's like a slasher of sorts, huh? I mean, pre-med as well as on the runway in Paris, that's a slasher, yeah. right? Yeah, she is. She truly is. And she gets criticism for it, you know, for being a model. There are some people who will say things to her, just like when I went to Playboy, I got a lot of lashback from people who felt I shouldn't be at that brand as a woman. Um, but, you know, I think that you need to, I always own like you're true and, and, um, find your best course in life. Um, and I feel like the out, the Zalphas are doing just that. So when you, you mentioned that, um, your daughter is pre-med at NYU, um, you know, obviously the, the show is produced by NYU. So I'm curious, like what advice would you give, um, our, our audience as it relates to going down a career path that could be so exciting? I think you use the words, be your own you. Um, how does somebody get to where you are or even your daughter is today? It sounds like it's challenging. It is. Listen, it, it's a wonderful time because I think you can be whatever you want, but you know, this is so simple and my, you know, you'll hear me say this all the time. If you listen to anything that I, I talk about, like it's about trusting your gut. And I very simply literally have a post-it note on my computer that says, trust your gut to remind me like you have got to, there's so much noise and so much going on. I think that what you want to do is like really listen to that inner voice. And, you know, again, we never talked about that inner voice, but like, you know, when things are right and there'll be a series of synchronicities or something happening around you and you'll know that it's okay to go and sign the deal with IMG and attend an awesome school like NYU. Um, and I, I just think that it's about like, carving your own path and trusting your gut. How do they stay focused though? Um, I, I, I read a uh, 2022 report from Morning Consult that mentioned the most popular Gen Z brands are 
TikTok at number one, Discord at number two, Snapchat at number three, and Instagram at number four, right? So it's just, you know, if you're on the receiving end or participating as, as a young student, um, there's just so much room for distraction and content and it's nonstop. And it's interesting to note number five is Cash App. So somewhere in there, they're paying for stuff, right? So how, how do they stay focused in, in this type of world? Like how, how did you uh, encourage your daughter specifically to stay focused on the prize? You know, I, I think that Olivia and her generation, like they're hard workers and they know that like the world is competitive. And I honestly think that that's why there's so much anxiety for these kids to succeed, um, get to the next level. But, you know, Mark, at the end of the day, like Olivia is a voracious reader of like good old fashioned hard books. And, um, you know, they there's something really beautiful about that because again, it kind of gets, while there is all of this chaos. And even as you were saying those top five brands, I had to take a deep breath because it was stressing me out. Um, but, but um, you know, at the end of the day, like she does relax by reading and, you know, I've noticed that about her friends, they're still into good old hardcover books and, you know, old fashioned kind of rock and roll. So, so it's this like balance and dichotomy. And I love when she studies because like she sits at a desk, puts her feet on the ground and like, you know, opens her books. And I think that that is the balance in all of it for her, for sure. But like that generation. So taking yourself out of the position as a business executive and leader, CMO, taking yourself out of the position of being a mother, yeah. um, do you, if you were, if you were, a, let's say someone from the Gen Zalpha uh, segment, how would you manage social media personally? Do you think there's a positive that. side to it? And do you think there's a negative side to it? Oh God, yes. It is a wonderful um, tool to learn new things and to, you know, dive into, I think, different aspects of um, like really deep learning and key situations. But my God, there's a lot of pressure, you know, to look a certain way, to be a certain way. Um, but I also think that they're finding their way, um, albeit, you know, we have a lot more discussion around mental health than we ever did. Um, but, you know, this is a strong generation and I think that they're finding their way. I do think that they need um, adult guidance and the mix of that blending of just old school, you know, writing, studying, like all of that is an incredibly important as well. So Kristen, I know that you have a lot on your plate today and I appreciate it. And I think I'd mentioned to you, what we do with all of our guests is we like to wrap up the show with um, the beginning of a statement in some future day and we allow our guests to finish that statement. So for you, I was thinking it could be interesting given again, your impressive position in the corporate um, community. In some future day, the role of the chief marketing officer will be? The role of the chief marketing officer will be a pathway to the CEO. 
And what I mean by that is I think that the role of the CMO is so incredibly important to setting the vision for the company. And as we talked about, I feel like they're the voice of humanity and the empathy from a consumer perspective in corporation. So I can't wait to see more CMOs taking the helm of companies because I think what we're going to end up with is you know, a, a, a brilliant um, array of thoughtful um, companies that really care about the consumer. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh my God. Thank you so much. And uh, it was such an honor and I love what you're doing, Mark. And, you know, you and I go back a long way um, since our college days and it's just, this is really, really cool what you're doing and huge fan of NYU. I know your time is very important. So thank you so much for joining me today. For ongoing insights surrounding these important topics, you can join the conversation on my social media channels, including Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, at Mark Beckman. And to sign up for my newsletter on Substack, you can find me at markbeckman.substack.com. To make sure you don't miss a show, be sure to subscribe to Some Future Day across all major platforms worldwide, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Special thanks to New York University for producing Some Future Day, and a big shout out to my producer extraordinaire, John Boomhofer, for being patient and always encouraging me to push through. Thanks a lot, John. Have a great day.